Take that! This is Hunting Humbug 101 with me, Theo Clark. This is a rebroadcast of an original episode first recorded with my father, Jeff Clark. Warning. 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 The following commentary uses a seamless combination of both passion and restraint, exposing erroneous thinking with irony, whimsy, sarcasm, satire, gross caricature, and more than occasional hypocrisy and schadenfreude. The following commentary does not necessarily reflect the views of the hosts, producers, people quoted, their employers or employees, or anyone at all, ever. This may be an ironic statement, or it may not be. Warning, 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 warning. Welcome to Hunting Humbug 101 with me, Theo Clark, and I'm joined as usual with my father, Jeff. G'day, Dad. How are you? G'day, Theo. Well, thanks. In this podcast, we are going to look at the fallacy special pleading. Um, other terms and or related concepts we use uh, for special pleading, claiming to have special insights or superior sensitivity or asserting connoisseurship. And the description, this fallacy occurs when an advocate claims that he or she has a special insight into the topic under discussion. Further, by implication or explicit claim, The opponent cannot possibly comprehend the subtleties or complexities of the issue because he or she is unable to attain the level of insight available to the advocate. Underlying such special pleading or claims to deep insight or empathy is a presumption that the views of the advocate cannot be evaluated because the opponent lacks the capacity to make any valid judgment. All such claims should be treated with deep scepticism. Example. Tony Nightlight is writing a letter to the local newspaper. He's incensed at a column in the paper written by local medical practitioner Dr Sally Sodfroyd. The basic theme of Sally's article is that violence associated with alcohol abuse in the local Indigenous community has increased enormously over the last year. She attributes this to the construction of a wet canteen at the community centre just over a year ago. Toby's first sentence reads as follows. As an Aboriginal man, I know what damage has been done by paternalism towards Aborigines in the past. Dr Sodfroyd might be well-meaning, but she doesn't have a clue. If she were to walk a mile in my shoes, she would understand just how insulting her suggestion is. And our comment on that, in the example given... The wording of Toby's opening sentence appears to be attempting to establish from the outset that his views on the issue of alcohol use are unchallengeable. Seekers after truth would place little weight on such a claim per se. They would examine the rest of the letter and consider any of Toby's claimed insights on their own merits. Recent justification of views would be needed before they could be considered to be credible. After all, Sally could herself claim special insights not available to Toby. 
as a local GP, she would no doubt be attending to injuries inflicted by alcohol-fueled violence, and she would be talking to the victims. Special pleading is a commonplace feature of newspaper opinion columns, political speeches, television panel discussions and the like. People who seek to air their convictions in such public forums are usually attempting to influence public policy. Often there is also an attempt at self-aggrandisement through moral and intellectual posturing. In such circumstances, and when the public advocates fail to mount a well-researched intelligent argument in favour of their convictions, they often fall back on a range of shallow rhetorical devices, including special pleading. Any statement along the following lines gives special ple- is special pleading and can safely be ignored by the sceptic. You don't understand because you are a man, a woman, an Aborigine, a white fella, or you are ignorant, a Philistine, insensitive, you lack cultural awareness or intellectual ability, spirituality, etc. If you were like me or had my fine sensibilities, you could not help but agree with me. It is worth noting that special pleading can take many forms and can be employed in a wide variety of contexts. If, for example, the judge at an art show is unable to convincingly explain her choice of a prize winner, she may fall back on transparent and self-serving special pleading by way of justification. We here quote verbatim some examples of the genre from an actual judge at an exhibition attended by Jeff, that is me. The judge is commenting on the first prize winner. It speaks to me. It is perhaps. I sense that the artist is challenging and inviting self-examination. The viewer needs to be attuned to minimalism. Only seems like a four-year-old could do it. That is, perhaps a figure. Perhaps looking down. Perhaps in torment. Perhaps the judge is an arts wanker. Now, if or and when we get around to our next edition, um, I would probably tweak that a little bit because I think the the examples we give there are a particular type of special pleading, uh, but there's also the kind of immunising a hypothesis slash moving the goalpost slash coming up with come some kind of spurious ad hoc excuses uh, for why something didn't work that is also a case of special pleading. Um, so the, the examples in the book are more like the special insights. So, you know, you don't have my special insights and my sensibilities. That's why you just don't understand. Whereas uh, there is also that kind of um, special pleading and where some of the examples will give that sceptics especially come across where, you know, the psychic fails the test or the dousers fail the test. And so that's another kind of special pleading, and that's more the focus we're going to have a look at and a couple of the examples we're going to have a look at. I, I just think, um, just to be prefiguring, we will be discussing later our response to some of the comments that we've had. Most of them, of course, are over, overwhelmingly positive. Now, some of our comments about some of the negative comments might sound... Uh, superficially like special pleading, but in fact we have always have very good reasons, very sound reasons for uh, criticising a critique. I just thought I'd make that point. And, and, it, and it's just that we would explain those sound reasons, but we just don't have the time uh, to get into it. 
So can I be can I be frank too, Theo? I think a lot of people uh, are not up to the point where they could understand the explanations, um, even if we um, tried to simplify them. Uh, but but more of that later, perhaps. Well, yeah, and because it is it is you need to heighten your sensibilities to to be able to have that general feeling and vibe about. Um, fallacies, and if you haven't got that kind of vibe and you're not in tune with it, you're not harmonious with it, um, then if you're not in that same kind of plane of uh, I, I would go further than that. I'd say if you don't live it 24-7, you don't know shit. <laughs> oh, sorry. Sorry, I, did, I just got carried away. <laughs> it's perfectly understandable. But, yeah, I, I thought before we get onto those those examples, I think it is worth discussing the, the arts wanker type special pleading. And we don't wish to disparage the arts because we both enjoy art. I mean, you you especially, you know, you, you do the cartoons and you love painting and you can appreciate it. It's just when they start getting to that point where they have this special insight that's beyond us mere mortals and you kind of go, well, actually, where's the evidence of that? Well, the point I've made uh, is that um, connoisseurs of certain kinds really stick their necks out and they do the right thing. So uh, if wine connoisseurs go to a tasting, for example, they do a blind tasting where um, th- their drinks are poured and they don't know which bottle the drink came from and they then they have to write down their tasting notes independently and then the connoisseurs get together and they actually disclose what they said about the particular wine and they have no idea where it's come from. Now, that's commonly the practice and scientists generally would recognise what's happening there. It's um, a process where the person's not picking up cues to um, assist them in the decision. So it is purely their capacity to, dis- to, to be able to be a discriminating taster of wine. Um, and, of course, if they are the odd man out, chances are they won't be a connoisseur for too long. Now, in the arts, what typically happens is in art competitions that I've seen, and they're not ones I've been in, so I'm not special pleading from that point of view of not, not having been successful. Uh, but Al- the, Although, let's be the, clear, you haven't uh, been successful quite a few times. Oh, well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, well, I... Sorry, I, I shouldn't have I said actually, that. No, but a thing that's not generally known is that I've added another poll to Blue Poles, the um, the, uh, the painting in the National Gallery in Canberra, and I did this about six years ago, and uh, I did no one's it noticed. quietly, and no one noticed. And it, it's my painting as much as it is Jackson Pollock's, and so um, I felt needed that extra poll, and... No one, including the connoisseurs, have noticed it because I was careful to use the right Well, you can't expect art people and to be able to count. Now, the thing is, artists don't put themselves, uh, don't stick their neck out, necks out like wine connoisseurs. They don't um, uh, put their paintings into competition, have the um, judges go around quietly making notes, and the judges sequestered, um, making a decision by ranking the paintings and then finally getting together to determine the winners. So it's usually a case of a, a bunch of connoisseurs walk around together and they pick up cues from each other by the way they talk about the painting. And so uh, they, they lack the courage of their convictions uh, is the problem I have with um, art connoisseurs. Um, 
And uh, it, it is clearly, uh, it's the clearest case of special pleading I've ever come across in general yeah. interaction and, and life in general. I think they should do it like Australian Idol or like, you know, Pop Idol or um, slash American Idol, Australian Idol. Uh, so you think you can dance and have public vote by mobile phone. Obvious. Well, I think I think also um, the, the Mr Bean movie where he um, he defaces Whistler's mother is quite an interesting commentary yeah. on art concerts. That, that so whole movie wasn't no one discovered that bit was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's let's now move on to the other examples. Now, uh, again, going back to one of my favourite. Uh, if you are a sceptic and you haven't seen this yet, you really need to slap yourself. Uh, Richard Dawkins in the Enemies of Reason again. And because, it, and I'll be still be going to be. There's more material from it for our podcast because of the the number of different examples of fallacious reasoning there is in this show. And I've got two different little audio clips to have a listen to now. The first we're going to have a listen to is when a, a psychic, surprise, surprise, fails to get a reading from Dawkins. Uh, so, and let's listen to the way he special, tries to special plead his way out of this situation. It starts. G has rung no bells, but now another voice comes from the ether. Oh, well, she's given me the initial E with the name. Now, I do feel with her as well. It's something to do with I feel a grandparent, and I want to give you an E sounding name. Uh, my grandmother had a name beginning with E. At last, something I can identify with. E sounding name. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Tell me more about her. Maybe the lady, I do feel with her as well. She had a lot of cats. A lot of, of cats. It's cats. Perhaps not. She never had a cat. She hated cats, as a matter of fact. Um, right. Uh, she liked dogs, but she hated right. cats. Well, I can understand. Not everybody, though. What you've got to also remember with this as well, not everybody can relate to everything that a reader will say. No. Not everybody. I mean, I've had people like yourself who have... Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. Because normally people who come to these events come for a reason, and because, because they want closure and direction in their life. And also what you've got to think about, Richard, as well, some things are very raw to me. Psychics may believe they can... Yeah, so you can see him trying to weasel his way out of that completely. Also, you've got to understand that people do this and people come for these reasons and it doesn't work for everybody and there's different meanings for everybody. So it's a pretty embarrassing performance all around, really. Yeah, I think um, basically um, people who go and see uh, psychics, uh, in a sense, want them to succeed. And so when, when the person's nice to them, they... And they, they have a, a wide guess at something about the person and they get it wrong, but it's not that wrong. And the person will respond by saying, no, no, my uncle's name wasn't Jim, it was Jack. And the psychic will say, ah, oh, yes, Jack, it's coming through strongly now and so on. Um, there's a kind of, there's a kind of, um, interaction between the psychic reader and the individual uh, and both of them are kind of hoping the psychic will be successful. When somebody is a, a skeptic and they don't, they don't give feedback that represents cues. So the so-called psychic can get closer and closer to the reality. And that leaves the psychic really in a hole and they just keep digging in and they dig it deeper and deeper. And to add to that, I mean, he really wasn't a very good cold reader. So just a quick example of how he could have done a better job. If he had said, cause he said, I think she likes cats. What he should have said is, I'm getting a message about cats. And then 
it, what a normal person would do is, oh, my grandmother hated cats, and then he'd go, yeah, that's exactly it. She was more of a dog person. And then the person forgets all the lead-up questions and just remembers that, oh, he knew that they were a dog person. Whereas he actually said, oh, she doesn't like cats. Oh, she, she likes cats. And Richard Dawkins said, well, no, she hated cats. So when I've heard seen the good ones, that's how they do it. They don't say about something that they like it or dislike it. They just say, I'm getting an image of it. And that it's a win-win. So it doesn't matter what you say, it's a win-win in that they can say, oh, they either liked it or hated it or they... You know, if they can even say, oh, I'm getting something about the army, the military, and Richard Dawkins could have said, oh, no, no one was in the military. Yeah, that's it, no one was in the military, you know. So they actually, so he wasn't even a very good cold reader as well, which is pretty embarrassing. All right, well, let's have a look at uh, the next example, which is another really clear example of special pleading. Um, And it's from the same documentary series when, and I've actually blogged about this before too, and it's when... uh, they test some dousers using double-blind uh, test, and they've got to try and identify out of uh, six buckets, there's one of them that's got um, a bottle of water in it or something, and the other one, the other five have got sand in them. So dousing, for those who don't know, is where people can, you know, psychically tell you where water is underground. And this is an example of dousers failing the test, or rather doing no better than chance, and trying to explain away their you know, standard, normal, as you'd expect, result. The alleged detection of water through dowsing is not obviously ridiculous. It might work, but does it? The only way to tell is through a rigorous experiment. How does dowsing work? That's the number one question, and nobody can answer you. Well, I reckon it's, I'm convinced that something is helping me to douse. One of the earlier chaps thinks it's God. How, how do you do it, then? How, what, what's your principle of dowsing? I think the question, and I expect God to respond in a way that I understand. I'm, I'm going to expect the right-hand one to point to the camera, and the left-hand one straight forward. One, Okay. Look, look, go. it's following him round. Yeah. Have you done the test yet in the tent? Yes, I did. Yeah, and what, what was the result? I was going to get six or eight, hundred percent. Yeah, and what happened? One. So what do you make of that, then? He's having his laugh, isn't he? <laughs> he loves a joke. Yes. You don't realise. <laughs> The people you've been testing, do they understand why they're being put through the double-blind procedure? I think once we've explained it to them, then they appreciate why someone who is perhaps sceptical or doubtful about their claims would see that that was necessary. What's interesting is it doesn't actually tend to dent their confidence at all. Which suggests that they're completely sincere. I think they they are completely sincere. Yes. And that they're typically very, very surprised when we run them through a series of trials and actually say at the end of the day, well, your performance is no better than would expect just on the basis of, of guesswork. And then what typically happens is they'll make up all kinds of reasons, yeah. some might say excuses, as to why they didn't pass that particular test. I feel the whole test is wrong. I'm shocked beyond words that this has happened. But I did say from the outset, couldn't we just sort out some grey blocks and some scaffold boards yeah. so that I can walk above it, which is what I would routinely do and I've yeah. done for 40 years. Yeah. Who knows where or what bottles were in what tubs. That's the whole point, the isn't it? That's the whole yeah, point. But 
If you understand dozing like I do, you'll understand that everything leaves an image. This state of denial is extraordinary. Even when confronted with hard fact, these dowsers prefer not to face up to truth, but retain their delusion. I think that, I mean, the obvious giveaway there is when at the end he goes, well, yeah, well, if you understand dowsing like I do, and so that is the exact examples we've used in the book, if you understood it the way I do, then you'd know how it works. And I think this whole special pleading ties in nicely with the rationalisations that we talked about in the previous, one of the previous podcasts on simple-minded certitude and that it's an example of the ta- one of the tactics people use to rationalise a way of failure or you know, a belief they have that doesn't stand up to scrutiny. Yeah, one of, one of the, um, the all-time favourites which um, our listeners might like to look out for when you're at one of these events, like a psychic fair or something of that kind, is the, um, the psychic or the dowser or someone claiming special powers um, will say, um, because they're in the presence of a sceptic, um, that that actually destroys the... Um, the connectivity of, of you know and and the sensitivity of their powers, so it's a kind of a, a grab bag excuse. So if you're ever going to be tested by a sceptic, the fact that there's a sceptic present, and I think this is a common experience with people that uh, call up spirits, you know, that if they're sitting in a circle and they're calling up spirits, um, the medium will ask if there's a sceptic present, and then they'll they'll dissolve the whole. Um, Activity and say that because it is one skeptic, um, they won't be visited by the, the ghost or um, the spirit on the other side and that kind of thing. Yeah. Is anyone going to check to see if I'm faking it? <laughs> if so, you must leave now. Yeah, it, it's. I mean, I, I actually I vaguely recall hearing um, Richard Saunders of the Skeptics Own podcast and one of the I think the vice president of the Australian Skeptics. Interviewed on the radio, or maybe it was one of the other guys like Peter Bowditch, might have been Peter Bowditch, on the radio, and they were literally, you know, up against the psychic, and he was in a car, and the psychic, he's like, well, "What am I wearing now?" And she's like, "Oh, it doesn't work because you you don't send out the energy because you're a skeptic." And it's like, "Oh, it's like your powers aren't particularly impressive now, are they?" And he and he was like, "No, no, I am. I promise, I'm sending out the energy." But anyway, all right. Look, I mean, they're all—they're pretty. Special pleading is pretty clear. I mean, it's not one of the ones you can really. I don't, anyway, I don't. I it's find it very difficult to see how you could stuff that one up because it's pretty obvious. They—they they come up with, you know, say those kind of terms like if you understand the way I did, um, oh, it doesn't work because you're here or because of this reason. Then, and especially if they—they if they agreed with the criteria in the first place, so it is similar to moving the goalposts in that way. So those um, dowsers, they all agreed to do that test and they were happy with the criteria but then when it w- didn't work they go oh no it was no good and you got to just ask yourself well would have they agreed that the test was no good if they got the results they liked you know you evaluate uh, yes. the quality of a uh, test see, was, sorry uh, something else has occurred to me see i'm sorry for no, interrupting right. there but um uh, there's a, a huge possibility here for an endless nested recursion with special <laughs> pleading because you could say that um, when somebody's arguing with you, you can say, oh, you're just engaged in special pleading. And they say, no, I'm not. What are you talking about? And, and then you say, oh, you wouldn't understand. I, I, I've developed a very very great sensitivity to special pleading. special pleading, and I can see it in people when they themselves are not aware of it. 
so you can then, and then the other person could say, I knew you were going to say that. I could tell that you were actually special bleeding and you really don't have those insights, whereas I do, and so on. That's a nightmare when you think about it. Yeah, well, just just disappear up your own orifice of special bleeding, I suppose. All right, now, uh, so... I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, well, of course you did. I would have expected it. What we'll do now, I mean, I, I don't, there's no point in going on about it anymore. Um, it's pretty obvious what special pleading is. What I'd like to do is now move on to, uh, well, a couple more things in the podcast. Uh, going and looking at the results from last week with the Jenny Barnett, uh, the good old anti-vaccine moron that was on the radio, uh, on, on the, we've, we've talked about before in the last couple of podcasts, we've been spot that fallacy with her. So we'll have a listen to those, uh, little bits of the clip and we'll pause them and we'll, we'll come back and we'll talk about the fallacies anyway that, that I think are in these clips. And so we'll have a listen to some more Jenny Barnett. And I'll tell you what, we're, I'm again, like Jenny McCarthy, I'm reaching my limit of Jenny with this one. Um, it started off, I went on a short course about, um, it was a choice, uh, making a choice about vaccination, and it was run by homeopaths. But why, why did you go on that course in the first place? Because I, I had a feeling inside, I inherently knew that it must be wrong to be putting toxins and poisonous material into a young baby's body. Right. Simple as that. Right. Mercury, formaldehyde, you know... Live viruses are cured in monkeys' kidneys. How can that be right for your child? So that first caller that talked, she inherently knew that vaccines were wrong. Before she knew anything about them, she inherently knew they were wrong, and then she went to do some research, inverted commas, on it. So straight away, that's an example of simple-minded certitude. She'd made up her mind beforehand and was going to find evidence, inverted commas, that vaccines were wrong. And then, of course, she uses those weasel words, you know, saying putting these toxins and poisons in your body and whatnot as well. So, yeah, to me, that's a very clear example of simple-minded certitude. Um, but I just knew from the beginning it's the wrong But this thing is fascinating. Tracy, let me ask you this. When measles, if there's a case of measles at the kids' school, yeah. or if there's a case of mumps or chicken pox, what do you do? Because I say, great, come on, kids, let's go get it, because... Children get childhood diseases for a reason. It's to boost their immune system so that later on in life, when they come in contact with those diseases, it doesn't affect them so severely. And that is why they're called childhood diseases. The only reason children get really, really ill and perhaps, you know, suffer serious side effects are A, if their immune system is not strong enough to fight off the virus, or B, if they're being suppressed by drugs or or in some other way, you know, suppressant drugs or given too much antibiotics or... Uh, the point I'd make about that one is that, um, I mean, the argument is so ridiculous that it, it almost doesn't bear a response. Uh, it's it's like suggesting that if you're worried about AIDS, you should go, go around and um, have sexual intercourse with people with AIDS uh, so you can be exposed to the... Exposed to the uh, uh, the virus and therefore develop an immunity or if you're uh, in the old days when smallpox was a deadly disease um, to um, actually go and um, uh, rip a bit of pox off somebody's skin and chomp down on it as like a kind of chewing gum uh, to expose yeah. yourself to the I mean, virus I mean, yeah to me, to me she goes great come on go get actually, it I'm a bit 
I, I'm a bit peckish having said that. <laughs> I thought I heard something rumbling. No, she says, great, come on, go get it. It's like, hang on, but everything she said about what she thought the benefits of the great, come on, go get it, that is the point of vaccines, is to expose kids to the virus, but a safe version of it that has been engineered to be safe. So it's either the live one that's been engineered to be, you know, not a problem or, or a dead strand of this, you know, from my vague recollections of how vaccines work. But the the irony, it's just bizarre. I just can't even comprehend it. And the, that's why they're called childhood illnesses, so they can get it when they're children, so they won't get it when they're adults. What the hell is she on about? I think she's... Well, on... the definitive statement to her would be, and a very old-fashioned one, a pox on you, madam. <laughs> she wouldn't get it. She wouldn't. That's Shakespeare, right? Yeah. Well, a fair, a fair way back. Yeah. Or maybe it could have been his brother, or it could have been um. Uh, well, who's the guy before Shakespeare? The really good one, or Chaucer? Maybe Chaucer. Chaucer. It sounds like Shakespeare, but anyway. Or, or his his brother, yeah. <laughs> close relative. Uh yeah. I mean, anyway, just oh. Next one. They wanted to, they wanted to banish measles uh, from Europe by two thousand and ten. There are many other ways of doing it rather than jabbing people. And I- Yeah, so jabbing people again. If you just listen to the way she says it, I mean, she says it really, really, it's another obvious weasel word, just the way she uses it. Um, we did have a comment on the... Well, you could, you could easily replace jabbing with the word assaulting yeah, yeah. Uh, and say it in her tone and it would fit perfectly. So it's actually her tone that's... Um, that's right. That definitely. Yeah, because uh, I've used the yes, word jabbing myself, but you just kind of use it as the offhand, go get your jabs, offhand comment. But it is the tone that she says that it's clearly being used as a dysphemism, a dysphemism, which is, you know, a, a word deliberately meant to make something sound worse than it is. So that's a weasel word. Well, I, you know, the one one word you don't want to hear when you have a prostate exam, for example, <laughs> is jabbing. <laughs> I'm not touching that. That's what the doctor said too. Okay, next one. If you scaremonger, people don't know how to make clear decisions about something. Do you want your kid to have an inoculation or don't you? Don't make... Now that bit is just the, her lack of self-awareness. Now we occasionally are prone to hypocrisy, but we deliberately do it. We know we're, we're being ironic. We normally, you know, it's normally pretty obvious, I think. She's saying... Why are you scaremongering people? Hello? <laughs> That's exactly what she is doing. It's it's just bizarre. I just can't even comprehend how how she can't even see Actually, that. There, there, there's a fallacy we, we don't mention in anywhere, which is commonly uh, uh, used or commonly commented on, which is actually what she's using here. And I think it's to quote play, um, and it means you too. Yeah, yep. In other words, you're doing it as well. It's almost like that kind of fallacy. Well, that's it. it, um, yeah, it although it, she's, although she's not admit, not admitting it herself. Yeah, it is. That is one I've seen around the place, but I've never really come across too many obvious examples of it. And it is such a juvenile one. I've kind of never bothered talking about. It. But yeah, that that is it exactly right. Yeah, and but and, and I mean, just her own position is completely inconsistent. And I think as soon as you're inconsistent within your own position, you start you obviously lose ground. Okay, so this have a listen to the last bit of it. Afternoon, Jenny. Hi, lovely. Um, 
I'm not a medical expert, but I listen to the radio, and I listen to LBC, along with your competitors, quite a lot. And every single medical expert that you've ever had on LBC has always said that the NMR is a good thing, and that all of the evidence against it has been refuted. But actually, but wasn't Auntie Flo allowed to do that? And what she, she was, but would she have done it and would you have let her do it and would the world have been helping her to do it if we knew now? What we knew yeah, then. Yeah, 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 what we know now. But that's, that, but that's precisely why I didn't want my kids or my granddaughter, and I don't know what Zoe's choice is going to be, but that's precisely because we do know what we know now, that I don't want to go in any, go anywhere near drugs. You know, I'm 60 in a couple of weeks, well, about eight weeks' time, and people say to me, My brain hurts! <laughs> Would I have plastic surgery? No. My brain hurts too! <laughs> Yeah, the media and the drug companies would like to make me unusual. But do you not feel that all this information that's out there, yeah, it is being weighted in a certain direction? Um, yeah, to frighten us. No, I don't think it is to frighten you. The, the one of the guys on James O'Brien's um, show this week mm. had written a book called Bad Science. Right. And he went on about all the things. Like your previous lady was a homeopath, and all due respect, the, the guy talking about bad science was talking about all kinds of things which people regard as remedies. And he, as a doctor, was laughing at the. the um, Listen, let me put this to you. John, let me put this to you. And it's a good point, and I take your point. But let me put this to you. My nan, if you had an ear infection, would have put something in a sock, heated it up. Somehow, she didn't have microwaves, and stick it behind the ear, and good golly, Miss Molly, that ear infection would slow down somehow. Now, there's not a lot of science in it, but it blooming will work. Oh, well, it's just a, just a, a, a rave, a mutual rave, and uh, I... I, I must confess, I sometimes use a term, from, uh, an alternative term to moving the goalposts. But usually in my own mind, uh, it's called moving the spittoon. And, uh, you can, it, it's good imagery because you can imagine you're lining up with a big chore of tobacco on your mouth and you, you've aimed at the spittoon and you've got great skills. And then you just, it's felt through your mouth with great force and then some bugger moves the spittoon. That on the floor. Well, I mean, and that's that's the point. The, the, because the caller, he, I mean, he, everything he said was spot on, but he allowed her to get off topic and just throw all these red herrings. Like, people say, are you going to go on HIT? Are you going to do that? It's like, what what are you on about? That's got nothing to do with the topic at hand. The topic at hand, which he started on, was shouldn't you listen to what the experts are saying? And he immediately let her get off topic and start throwing in those red herrings and moving the goalposts. So, I mean, the lesson there is... Keep them on topic. If you're debating someone, say, no, this is what we're talking about. What What's the criteria where you might change your mind or what evidence do you need to see? And let's stick to that point and see if we can, you know, come to an agreement or and before we move on to the next top point. Uh, and so, yeah, it, as the caller basically let her 
get off the topic, which is, you know, is normal human nature. But if you understand moving the goalposts and red herrings, then hopefully you can say, no, no, let's keep on topic. Let's, let's resolve this issue first. All right, um, my battery's just literally about to die, so I'm. So why don't you uh, just press stop for a sec? How are you going? Do you want to keep going, or you want to do the rest of it? Oh, I can. Yeah, because I got a second battery. Yeah. I just got to turn my computer off and put the other battery in. That's all. Oh, okay. Yeah. I can do it. Yeah. Now. Okay. All right. We'll just give me. I'll be back on Skype in about three minutes. So just press stop, and, okay. and we'll record, continue recording the next bit in a sec. I press stop. Yep. Yep. Okay. I'll, I'll be see, but I'll be back on about okay. three minutes. Schadenfreude. Guilty pleasures of humbug. The iTunes especially has been really good. Like we've had a, um, there's like ten reviews on the American iTunes and like four on Australia and there's a Kiwi one and there's a Pommy one. Uh, so it's been really good. But um, I, I thought the ratings on iTunes were the, what they rate our podcast as. But now I'm thinking maybe that's the actual accuracy of um, of their rating. So. Like, uh, because, and I'll, yeah, I, well, you know, I, I've got no idea about these well, technological things. Well, that, well, I, I don't know. I'll, I'll give you an example. I don't right? know. I'll give you an example. Yeah, there, there's this, there's this one rating, the latest one on iTunes in, um, uh, um, in the US by Greg Clark, so good surname. Um, he, and he said, glad I tuned in and gave it five stars, right? And I thought that was his rating of how good he thought our podcast was. But and, and then it makes sense because he says Theo and Jeff Clark's podcast may be the only one out there solely devoted to spotting fallacies and thinking. This stuff is really informative, and the presentation is peppered with some top-notch droll humour. Thanks, guys. So I thought, yeah, okay, he was rating it five stars, okay. Um, yeah. But then the one we got previous to that one on March 13 by this Eric Demage guy, he says he says the following he says. If you can get past the excruciatingly bad theme music, so that's not true, um, a mix of bad sound clips and jazz, so it's not jazz, I don't know what he's talking about, and annoying pompousness of the hosts, the podcast has wonderful explanations of how to dissect bad arguments and faulty logic. So to, to me, that's... And he gave us three stars, right? And I thought, oh, well, three stars is how he thinks of it. But then I thought, no, no, he's three-fifths of his review are correct, and two fifths are wrong, and I'll I'll go and read the rest. Oh, of it. I see. Yeah, I'll be about the pompous. Yeah, well, that's that's the bit that's obviously wrong, and also the music's good. Um, and then he says the host is a variety of British, Australian, American media clips, so that's all correct. So he's got that right to make their points, often with devastating effect. I that's correct as well. But then he goes, listen to this bit. He goes, but again, the value has to be filtered past the hosts who are utterly convinced that if. It doesn't fit into their neatly logical world. It absolutely, positively can't under any circumstances be true. There's no, well, gee, I believe if I saw some reputable evidence or such, there is... Listen, you you, you don't think he's onto us, do you? Nah. Oh, well. (laughs) Because the the thing is, I've been waiting for someone to catch us out on this one thing that I, you know, whenever I say something about, I, I express an opinion about something with or something we've seen on YouTube or something like that. I, I know in my heart that I don't know what I'm talking about and, uh, you know, sometimes I know in retrospect I've actually called it the wrong fallacy and sort of thing, but the, the point is that you always back me up. So e- even though you know I'm wrong, you always say, oh, yeah, that's it, Dad, you know, and you sort of add to that. And, and I know a lot of the things you've said have been really completely wrong. And I've just, I've just backed you up. Yeah, you know, but because the thing is, yeah, but I. So we, the thing is, but like, 
we can get away with it because we know our listeners know way less than we do. But I would think he caught us out, but then he doesn't actually go on and give any examples. So, yeah. Well, actually, he does give an example. He says, he says the lowest point in the series is an episode where they attack a celebrity's views on vaccination based on her hair colour, blonde, and previous occupation, Playboy Centerfold. So, you know, I mean, he got us there, I oh, suppose, no, didn't well, he? he- he, he's not on to us then because that, that, that was just a non-secretary we just threw in there. Yeah. So he's not on to us, but it's possible that at some time or other, like a smart person is going to yeah, there is a chance. start listening yeah. to us. And I think, I think we've got to be prepared for that. So like, what we'll do, I, I think we've got to um, just browbeat people if, if, if they... Um, disagree no, with no, no. I, I have I have the solution. Listen to this. This is this is what I was actually thinking about this today, and I thought what we need is some kind of disclaimer at the beginning of the podcast. So let me let me try this. Oh, let me try this one on for you. Right, ready? Brilliant. Listen yeah, to this one. On, okay, we go. Warning, warning. The following commentary uses a seamless combination of both passion and restraint, exposing erroneous thinking with irony, whimsy, sarcasm, satire, gross caricature, and more than occasional hypocrisy and Schadenfreude. The following commentary does not... Now, this is the best bit, right? The following commentary does not necessarily reflect the views of the hosts, producers, people quoted, their employers or employees, or anyone at all ever, including those who existed in the past, exist in the present, will exist in the future, and those that may or may not have existed in your imagination. So I reckon we've got ourselves covered with that. I think we should add to that, right at the end we should say... This may be an ironic statement, or it may not be. Yeah, I like it. And that will just increase the confusion because <laughs> the thing brilliant. is, All if right. we muddy the water enough... Yeah, I'm going to put that in, I'm going to put that like in that. this podcast for sure. That'll be the beginning of it, definitely. <laughs> if we muddy the water sufficiently, then our pomposity... That's right. Which, you know, it, it, it seems like pompous pomposity to others. No, but, but look... When you and I are talking yeah. together... We know we're not being pompous. Well, we're just being very insightful. Well, but, know. I mean, the thing is, does the dude even know what the word pompous means? Like, is he on crack or something? I, I, th- I think pompous, I, I think, you know, it comes from pomp and ceremony. Yeah, exactly. So a, a pompous person is like, like, I don't, actually, this is not something I'd like our listeners to know, but I actually, so I'm comfortable when we're doing these podcasts via, you know, various technological means and so on. I actually like to take my clothes off and sit in the nude, so I I, I couldn't I couldn't be pompous. Yeah, I, it's I not too bad sort of now, but over summer I can hear the squelching on the leather seat that you're sitting on. That was nasty. Yes, so, sometimes on hot days when I get up, it hurts. You know, like ripping a bandage off. But um, like it's just to relax myself, and and really a pompous person would dress up. Yeah, well, oh, I mean, given we laugh at fart down. jokes and hand relief. I think uh, that can rule out us being pompous. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> I, I, I actually it's the bit the bit where he was talking about us being inflexible, like the Bush administration. That I did actually go back and listen to an episode, like the, the one on say Simple Minded Certitude, about nineteen minutes in, uh, and I can yeah. see how he thought that from that. So I'll give it that. Yeah, as a sceptic, as a critical thinker, what your mindset should be is that you're married to the process, not to the actual outcome. Um, so when you're married to the, the thought processes and the thinking processes, you don't have that real problem of investment because the actual process of critical thinking and scepticism is, is a, um, inoculates you against that because 
those actual processes are well and truly tested. So something would have the logic of the entire world would have to change these processes to not work. Um, and even if they did, because you're only interested in uh, improving the way you think, that wouldn't be a problem anyway. So uh, if, if here's I a just, quick, yeah, sorry. If I can just add to the listeners, um, it's the first time I've heard you state that as such um, so clearly, and I, I think that is the essence of critical thinking, that you, that you are committed to the process and you, are, you can therefore lightly let go of conclusions you previously reached in error because you're committed to process. Mm. Well, not necessarily error, just new evidence comes along, so you go, oh, yeah. I change my mind, easy. You know, and then, or, or I didn't consider these other possibilities, so I'll change my mind. Um, and I, I'm prepared to listen to someone's argument about something. So you believe that? Okay, show me the evidence and I'll change my mind when the evidence, as long as it's you know, good enough evidence. There, there was a moment. There was a moment of, of inflexibility. And Jenny McCarthy, I mean, if anyone is qualified to talk, if anyone is qualified to talk about um, uh, autism and vaccines, it is a Playboy playmate, obviously. Well, yes. I mean, the, the thing is that um, a Playboy, Playboy playmate has a great deal of difficulty being taken seriously because people are yeah. looking at their, their naughty bits. Uh, and thinking Not about me, them, I read the articles. No, no, imagining them naked. I mean, even if she's not no longer a Playboy. Yeah, that's mate, true. Um, you're, you're imagining her naked and, um, that really diminishes the credibility of anything she's saying. Uh, but uh, I mean, it's not, I don't discriminate, uh, in terms of models and things like that because I imagine everyone naked wherever they are. Well, that whenever I see them. With you being naked all the time, so. In, in fact, I think these comments that I've, I've seen, uh, that you, you drawn my attention to, I think all of the people making those comments are probably engaged in some unpleasant activity. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, the typos, I mean, the explanation for that would be if they were using the computer one-handed, so... Yeah, and it is possible to do these days, I know. Um, look, all right, so we better actually start um, you know, doing the actual proper podcast again. Um, so, look, we're going to look at a couple of the um, comments on the website, so... But can I just ask that, you know, don't be too disparaging of them because we are actually trying to build an audience. So, um, I mean, look, we'll, what we'll do is we'll stack the deck and just, you know, read the nice iTunes reviews. Um, but there's a couple of comments on the website that I thought I'd talk about too because probably our listeners that don't bother going to the website haven't seen them yet. So I thought we'd talk about them as well. How's that sound? Yeah, sounds good. Okay, all right. Okay, so uh, we've got some feedback on the website and um, uh, the and also some iTunes reviews. I thought I'd share just to to let you guys know how fantastic it is getting some feedback because it just it keeps you more engaged and keeps you wanting to do more. Um, but just there was a couple of what I thought were misconceptions that people talked about on the website, and I did answer them on the website, but I know how uh, the podcasting world works, and half of you will be too slack to go and have a look at the comments. So uh, Gene Callahan wrote a, a post, and he said, um, I'm not sure whether, Gene, if you're a podcast listener or not, because you were talking about our distortitures, uh, which are our fun we have with Photoshopping. We used to. We've been a bit slack of late. But he says, it's amazing. You guys are supposed to be attacking these logical fallacies, but every time you post these distorted pictures, it's actually an ad hominem attack. Well, as our new 
uh, disclaimer says we're not above uh, hypocrisy, but first of all, it is only as this is what I said on the website to Gene. I said it's technically it's only ad hominem when it's used as a basis of dismissing someone's argument. So if I say Michael Moore is wrong because he's a fat, ugly moron, uh, that would be an ad hominem attack. But if I said Michael Moore is wrong because he stacks a deck and it so happens that he is also a fat and ugly moron, well, that isn't fallacious, as I said to Gene, it is in fact a fact. Uh, and, you know, yeah, sure, you insult people, it's not going to help the cause probably, but it's not actually a fallacy unless it's directly related to the argument you're making. Um, and the other point, Gene, is that the assumption you're making is that knowing about fallacies implies that you have some kind of ethical responsibility to not use them, now, that's a completely separate issue, and I think, as we've said again in previous issues, I only, previous editions of the podcast, it only worries me so much in, in the real world in terms of when people are using fallacious reasoning when it actually matters. So something like autism and vaccines, that actually matters. But if you're just, you know, taking the piss, it doesn't, or just having a bit of fun, it doesn't really matter. So rule of thumb for me is only when the truth is likely to matter is it important to make sure you're being honest in your arguing. Yeah, so if I can just add something to that too, uh, yeah, serious vein. Um, I actually like to have fun whenever I'm engaged in this area, this area of fallacies and so on. So I tend to use a lot of irony to make my point, and um, it, it may come across sometimes that I'm flippant or glib and that sort of thing. But there's a serious purpose underlying it, which is that I started being interested in this field because of really what I was reading in the newspapers and seeing on television and I realised that journalists actually weren't doing their job and interviewers weren't doing their job so um, I sort of wondered what the hell was going on because I knew they were wrong but I didn't know quite why they were wrong so I revisited some of my old writings and readings um, from my undergraduate days and started reading in the area generally of fallacies and I realised that what a what a a wonderful um, set of tools these fallacies are. If you're watching uh, a television show and somebody's being interviewed and you know they're getting away with murder or the interviewer is asking really stupid questions and you can actually identify precisely what's going on, it actually stops you from hurling a large object at the television screen and you can kind of get more relaxed and analytical about it. But I, whatever I do in life, I try and have some fun. So... Um, just be a little bit tolerant of our irony and try and pick it if you can. Some people don't have a natural aptitude for picking up irony. Um, others do and appreciate it and see the humour in it. Yeah, and, but, and, um, and if you don't pick it up, you know, it's just because you don't have it and maybe you should work on it. That's right. And it's impossible to teach irony to, to a person who's irony deprived. <laughs> um, they, re they really have to... Be smacked over the head with it yeah. uh, many times Hang before on. it actually sinks alert, in. Alert, alert. Irony. This is a podcast on special pleading. Note the irony just in that last section. <laughs> anyway, moving on to another comment was about uh, someone else whose name I don't have in front of me but wrote a comment about uh, the weasel word jab and pointed out that that's just the word used in England. And, yeah, the, it's used here too. But as we've already said previously in this edition... I take the point, you know, jab is used, but it's the way that's used. And so she was, Jenny Barnett was certainly using it um, 
uh, maybe intentionally or not intentionally, but it was mainly the tone, and you know, so it was clear she was using it as a pejorative, uh, and so you know, intended to get that emotional response. So probably it was unthinking in Jenny Barnett's case, because as I said in my reply, I wouldn't really assign it intentionality to anything Jenny Barnett says. All right, done. Yeah. Yep. I mean, well, that was good. I think we handled that pretty well. Um, so we'll just quickly uh, talk about the, the good iTunes reviews as well. Okay. Yep. Okay. So the other thing we want to look at uh, quickly, just to big ourselves up, that we've gotten a, a bunch of pretty good iTunes reviews recently. So thanks, as I said, it really makes it a, a pleasure to increases the pleasure of doing the podcast, to know that people are listening and learning and enjoying it. So I'll just share a couple of the... Um, the, I stacked the deck by sharing a couple of the better reviews, uh, and people who really seem to get it. Um, you know, so for example, this one in the US iTunes from MC Tanuki, uh, great name, I love it. Uh, a very funny, interesting podcast said, the father and son, or perhaps the son and father, well no, it depends which one, I'm the son, uh, team make it one of the most enjoyable skepticism podcasts around, not only chock full of information on logical fallacies and pseudoscience, but also hilarious, plus, you know, Simpsons references. You can't go wrong with Simpsons references. Couldn't agree more. Uh, there's another really, and it, the ones I really like are the, all you guys that actually get it, in terms of you get that we're trying to be a bit funny, but also you get the um the you actually explain to people on iTunes you know the, there's clips and stuff like that you can listen to, um so another quickly uh, just one more read from the US one from Stephen from Perpich he says Skeptoid and Skeptics Guide to the Universe gave some good overviews of logical fallacies but left me wanting to hear some more so I was glad to find an entire podcast series devoted to the subject. The father and son hosts have an entertaining rapport. My only nitpick is that they bleep out their dirty words. So I've stopped doing that, if you've noticed, because I've had a few people complain about that, plus I'm lazy. Which I'd rather have been left uncensored. I find all their introduction information very useful. I'm almost done listening to every episode and still want to go back and listen to them all again. Hey, Stephen, I feel exactly the same way, funnily enough. The, the thing is, as much as I do enjoy the feedback, I mean, who the hell are these people that come on our website and actually try and point out who we're wrong about something? Uh, I, I, I think, um, you know, there, there's there's all sorts of freaks and misfits. I'm not saying these people are uh, in that category, but there are all sorts of freaks and misfits, misfits out in the society at mm. large. I mean, uh, every neighbour I've ever had, and I've moved to many houses, Every neighbour I've ever had has been a freak and a misfit. Yeah. I mean, they've been aggressive, unpleasant, unneighbourly, provocative, argumentative, um, uh, and, and it's it's not coincidence. It must mean that pretty well ninety to ninety five percent of all Australians must be freaks and misfit. I I, I used to have more problems from neighbours when you were living <laughs> okay, at home. Okay, we'll leave it there then. <laughs> ah. <laughs> Yeah, but look, in all seriousness, like, I'm glad people think they're learning stuff, but, you know, uh, it takes years to get this good. And to, to, again, going back to the sensibilities that we've developed, uh, it's almost how do you explain it to these people, you know? Like, I, I can't even see how I can do it. They need to study for years and years to even get near where we're at now. 
Well, the other, the other thing is to be able to speak um, some truth in some exaggerations and some outright lies um, seamlessly without people being aware of whether you're actually being truthful mm. or lying. That takes a lot of that experience. Does. So I, I think we... I think we've got to be more sincere, and I mean that. I don't know that you do. <laughs> That's the problem now. We've gone too far. <laughs> we'll, ne- we'll never be able to get back. No one will believe anything else. <laughs> no one will ever believe anything else we say. Ah, screw them. Oh, my God. All right, look. Uh, finally, what I'd like to do is put this Jenny Barnett saga to rest, in terms of our podcast anyway, uh, and the last person that was on her show is one of my now personal heroes, it's Nurse Yasmin, and Jenny then afterwards, as I said in a previous podcast, and it's been fairly well documented, basically bagged her out and said that you know, she was a horrible woman and whatnot. Well, we'll let you be the judge. Listen to hero nurse Yasmin destroying Jenny Barnett at the end of her show, and that's how we'll finish off our show. So until next fortnight, you've been listening to me, Theo, and also... Me, Jeff. It's time for Ask Dr. Stupid with your host, Dr. Stupid. I, however, am not like Yasmin in Chelsea. You wouldn't, what would you have done in that situation? Um, I'm just wondering how much longer your program is on air because I give hundreds of MMR vaccines and all the work that we do in general practice is probably being undone by your program in 15 minutes and I think it's very irresponsible. Why? It doesn't, Why it doesn't, it doesn't seem to be based on any facts. I, I'm very sorry to hear that your child had autism, but if you... My child? Had the, Yasmin, somebody, my child. Somebody else's child had autism. Somebody else's child. I'm very sorry to hear that. But if they read the Wakefield study in The Lancet in 1998, um, Dr. Wakefield actually said that he didn't prove an association between MMR and... Well, he um, wasn't really allowed to have his say, was he, Yasmin? I mean, it was kind of... I think clear. he was. I think he said it recently in court. But you're not... I know. He's it, been tried for medical negligence. And I think that your program is extremely irresponsible. Uh, well, let me just ask about... you this. Let me ask Sorry? you this. Let me ask you this before you go on with that. How, if you are so certain that your MMR jab is correct, how can 15 minutes on LBC 97.3 rock what people are thinking? Well, you'd be surprised, and at the moment we are expecting a measles epidemic, and it's because of people like Ken Livingstone, people like yourself. Um, you talk about young mothers who have a very difficult decision to make, and I agree, they do, and I spend a lot of time talking to them, but people like you don't really make it any easier for them. And you're just talking about somebody with an ear infection. Well, I've been talking to somebody I know who had a child who woke up with the contents of their ear on their pillow, and that was down to the rubella. Virus. So you really need to think about what you're doing here and why you're well, doing but it. You see, I could argue, Yasmin, that you have to think about it too. I'm allowed. I do, every day. And so do I, as a parent. And that's what I'm saying. I'm it, a parent, and one of my children has had three doses of measles, and, you know, there's no problem with it. But if she's you could had... have a hundred doses of measles, and it would do nothing. You but know, why there's no them, problem. But why I'm then not... give them, why give them the, the vaccine if, they've had the, if they get the measles? I never can understand that. 
We don't give vaccines to measles to children who have had measles. They need a combined vaccine of measles, mumps and rubella. If they have one dose, the studies show that they possibly need to be revaccinated within a couple of years to make sure that that protection goes on through life. Do you not think, though, that as a parent, I am allowed to make a decision about what I put in my kid's body? Yes, and do you not think that a, a parent whose child has cancer and is having chemotherapy who has a much lower resistance to things like measles, mumps and rubella has a right to their child to Absolutely. go to a normal, prim- a normal primary school but because there may be one child in the class, such as yours, who is lucky to have decent immunity, that child might get measles, mumps or rubella and die. Yasmin, my daughter did not have decent immunity, which is exactly why I didn't have well, we don't. We, we wait until your child is well and fit enough to give the MMR. But I don't want my child to be fiddled with with all sorts of stuff that's in a vaccine. Now, why am I... Why am I... No, let me finish. Could you tell me what's in the vaccine? What what do you think is in the vaccine? Well, then how can you make a decision for your child? You're talking about parents having to make decisions for the child, but if you go into any secondary school, which I have done, Mm. and we've been asked to vaccinate kids against MMR, they all say they want it. If you deny immunisation, you're denying health to your child and other children. No, no, my, my child is absolutely strong and healthy in many well, you're ways. you're one of the lucky ones, aren't you? Abs- if your kid had um, listen, listen, no. and that sort of thing, Yasmin, will you, stop, you, would want, you would want them protected, wouldn't stop you? Stop being so dramatic about it. If you well, I disallow... I think you need to think what you're it, doing in I this do, program. You're doing absolutely. a lot of damage. And I you're think doing you, a lot of damage. Well, maybe, I, I don't think don't so. You don't know what you're talking about. You can't even tell me what's in an MMR vaccine so you shouldn't be talking about. Well, I... That's a very good question. I'd better put on my patented Stupometron helmet. Prepare to activate. Well, the answer's simple, really. I can get it. Shall I get it off the internet, Yasmin? Yeah, get it off the internet, find a reliable source, such as the Department of Health. Really? And then I might listen to you, yeah. The Department of Health frightens people. Thanks, Yasmin, for your call. I think it's quite interesting. When I was told I had a high blood sugar, I was told in that room I had diabetes. I don't have diabetes. I had high blood sugar. My blood sugar's normal now, but they frighten me, which is what people like Yasmin does. This is LBC 97.3. (laughs) Thank you, Dr. Stupid. So that was a rebroadcast episode of Hunting Humbug 101. For more information about the show and the book, Humbug the Skeptic's Field Guide to Spotting Fallacies and Deceptive Arguments, head to www.skepticsfieldguide.net. <laughs>